What's going on guys, it's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Thanks for tuning in guys, if you missed last week's episode you can still go catch that on demand, the way to do it is very simple, head over to Spreaker, head over to lordsofpain.net and you can catch my last episode of SCID on demand, you can also do it through your usual podcast provider as well. Please also make sure you check out all the other great shows here on Lords of Pain Radio. We have stuff coming to you each and every single day of the week, covering everything from New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor, TNA, Indie Circuits, British Wrestling, you name it, we've got coverage for it. So do make sure you check out all the wonderful shows. You can do so by subscribing. Don't subscribe to Lords of Pain Radio, but do subscribe to each of our shows by their individual name, and that way you can make sure you don't miss a second of the great coverage we've got for you here on Lords of Pain Radio. It is another week in my ongoing project for Sports Entertainment is Dead Year 2. If, of course, you're unfamiliar with it, and this is the first time you're tuning in, I take a guest host every single week and we explore a match chosen quite at random, historically either by myself or said guest, to explore the themes, the creative merits, the character, the narrative, its historical importance, anything that we think is worth commenting on. It's all inspired by my book, 101 WW Matches to See Before You Die, which you can still go ahead and buy on Amazon anywhere in the world. And, of course, it's also the inspiration behind my second incoming book, which will be a direct sequel to 101, but will be focused specifically on the new generation era. Both of these books explore many of the benefits that come with watching your professional wrestling as performance art rather than as sports entertainment, which, as the title of my show implies, is, in my belief, dead. That's what these match explorations aim to do as well. And this week, we have another Joining me this week, he's been on the show in the past. He is my Australian namesake, and he is the man who has picked this week's match of the G1 Climax 28 final between Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi. It's Sir Samuel. Welcome back to the show, Sam. Thanks, Plan. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, and I'm really excited to get started with this match because I picked this and was a little bit trepidatious because, of course, with performance art, you've done a lot uh, that's been based around the WWE. That's what you based your book around. Uh, but I think that from from particularly from watching New Japan over the last two years, nearly um, pretty solidly and regularly over the last two years, I think it applies um, to broader, I guess, broader a broader set of matches than what you originally wrote it for. Uh, and it, this is a, a match that I think applies very well um, and, and relates very well as performance art. So I'm really interested to get your take on it. Well, we'll break it down as we go along. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to start doing matches outside of WWE scope for this second year of SEID was because uh, there's there's only so many times, you know, obviously I've covered 101 matches in my first book. I'll cover another 101 matches in my second book that I'm currently writing. God knows how many I've covered in columns over the years. It gets to the point where you sort of get a little bit sick of talking about the same matches in the same way. And it would be interesting to me as someone who, you know, as you've just said, I'm a I'm a WWE lifer really, so I've 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 dipped my toe in several of the ponds, uh, no pun intended, over my lifetime as as a wrestling fan. But it's interesting to see uh, how uh, because WWE's product is very distinct. 
uh, and my the way that I consume it is tailored very much towards the way that they present professional wrestling. So when you come across a promotion like, well, any any Japanese promotion, obviously in this case New Japan, uh, which presents its product so differently to the way WWE does, produces it differently. You know, the ring style is obviously a, a completely different beast. It's it it's interesting to see whether you can apply the same methods of consuming it, which is something you've obviously already done. You you've watched a lot more New Japan pro wrestling than I have probably just in the last year uh, and this was as I said at the top of the show this was your pick uh, do you want to before we sort of really start digging into it give a little bit of, of a backstory for anyone who like myself might be unfamiliar with the setup here it's the final of the 2018's G1 Climax tournament uh, Kochibushi Tanahashi what's the what's the context here Sam set us up yeah, so essentially with with this match, uh, you've got the meeting of, of two very different parties. Um, the G1 Climax, just to, I guess, we'll start. The G1 Climax, of course, uh, is <clears throat> is a tournament that they run where you have 10, 10 wrestlers in each bracket. Uh, they all wrestle against each other. And then the top two, uh, the top of each bracket, um, then face each other in the final at the end of all of that. And this was the this was the final that was eventually set up in 2018, and the winner goes on to Wrestle Kingdom uh, to to take to have a shot at the IWGP Heavyweight Title, which is the biggest title in the the most prominent title in New Japan. So you know, very similar to I guess what you'd say the Royal Rumble is. You know, the, the winner of the Royal Rumble goes on to WrestleMania to take to match to um to fight for the Heavyweight Championship. <clears throat> So that's the that's what they're fighting over, um, but you've got two very different characters, uh, and at two very different points in their career. Uh, I'll start with I'll start with Hiroshi Tanahashi because I I think he is more the protagonist in this match than 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 Kota Ibushi, uh, and he is an absolute legend. Uh, I'd be very surprised if people listening to this had never heard his name, uh, but he is someone who. Uh, Came of, came of prominence in the mid-noughties uh, in New Japan and is very much heralded with pretty much saving the company from financial ruin. He has been – he was the face of the company uh, for a long time, the sole face, and that's where he get his, gets his nickname. They call that in the uh, – in, in, in New Japan, he's called himself the ace of the company. Uh, <clears throat> and he – he has had a very long career at the very pinnacle of this sport. He's gone against and he's beaten the very best. Uh, but at this point in 2018, he is starting to hit a decline in his career. So for the first time ever, he wasn't in one of the major main events in the first, not the first time ever, the first time in a long time. Uh, the start of the year, he wasn't in one of the major main events at Wrestle Kingdom. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sam Excuse is battling me. a cold, so I'm very appreciative yes. <laughs> of the fact that he's uh, he's monologuing for me on my show. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't. He, so he wasn't uh, in the in the main event. At, he wasn't in one of the main events at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, and this is a big thing for the person who was previously the the number one guy in the company uh, earlier in the year. Kazuchika Okada had overtaken his um, his record 
number of defenses of the IWGP Heavyweight Championship against Okada. And so going into the G1 Climax, it very and, and in Dominion, which is the second biggest pay-per-view of the year, kind of like the SummerSlam, if you will, uh, for New Japan, at Dominion, he was in a very diminished role. He was one of the opening matches uh, in a tag team match with just a, a couple of other legends. And it very much felt, I very much felt going into the G1 that he was at a transition point in his career and post G1, he was going to take a much more diminished role in the company. And there's a lot of, in, in New Japan, it's it's very common for these legends to hang around early on in the card and, and work with the young lions who are the rookies. Uh, that's very common in New Japan. Uh, and I was expecting him to take a place in, in that sort of, take, take that sort of position. Uh, and in the G1, he was raging uh, against the dying light. So coming in, he he fought. His first match was against Minoru Suzuki, who is a an absolute another legend, but a guy who is a complete murderer. Uh, and they they tore one another apart. And all the way through the G1, Tanahashi was barely holding himself together, uh, but building momentum, slowly building momentum. And then in the final of his block. Uh, he was against Okada, who is his probably his greatest rival at this point, uh, but a person he hadn't beaten in years, uh, and he managed to get a draw, which gave him enough points to go through to the final. So he's entering this final almost in a position where he is trying to prove that he has still got it. Uh, does that make sense? Is that... Kind of Absolutely. enough backstory on him. Yep. Absolutely. And then and then you've got Kota Ibushi, who's who's the second person in the in the match. He is very much a, almost a wrestling enigma. Uh, he is someone who is immensely, incredibly talented, uh, but he's someone who, at the pinnacle of his career in about 2015, when it looked like he was just about to sort of take the next step and become a true star, uh, a, a true, well, he was already a star, but become, you know, someone who is of the caliber of a heavyweight champion and, and sort of get to that position. He decided to walk away from Japanese wrestling. And that's when, you know, he went and wrestled in the Cruiserweight Classic and um, <laughs> very famously wound up, I love to say, very famously wound up in a, uh, a London back alley shooting fireworks off his chest. <laughs> if, you haven't, if you haven't seen that YouTube Kota Ibushi fireworks, it's very, very funny. But, but someone who, you know, felt burnt out when he got to that point and at this point has come back to New Japan has reconciled with Kenny Omega, who they had a very famous tag team called the Golden Lovers. Uh, and he is now, once again, looking to take this... Can he make that step that previously he couldn't? Uh, and and there's another interesting wrinkle. Kota Ibushi and Tanahashi have a very interesting relationship. Kota Ibushi sort of considers Tanahashi a god. For him, wrestling is his religion, and Tanahashi uh, and Shinsuke Nakamura are his two gods. Uh, and you'll see him pay tribute to Shinsuke Nakamura in this match. Uh, and, you know, but but can, to take this next step, he's got to beat his own god, which is a pretty incredible task to be sort of up against. Well, Oof, um, there we go. <laughs> Uh, told you to set it up, and you certainly did. Um, yeah. <laughs> Who says New Japan doesn't have stories? <laughs> well, quite. Um, so, when Sam and I were talking about 
setting the show, folks, and uh, coming on and thinking about the two matches, because Sam is going to be with us next week as well, that we would do. He picked this, and then he picked Roman Reigns, spoiler alert, Roman Reigns versus The Undertaker WrestleMania 33, which we'll be talking about next week. And as I was sat watching them both uh, today, as of recording, actually, making my notes for the shows, it was only when I arrived towards the beginning of The Undertaker and Roman Reigns that I messaged Sam. I was like, did you pick these two purposefully because of their thematic similarities? Because as Sam is sort of just wonderfully set up for us there. Uh, and I thought that, that, to be fair, this came across very vividly in the in the match as well. I watched the match with English commentary, obviously. I think you lose a certain um, authenticity with the experience of watching it with English commentary, to be honest, because I have watched Puro with, with the Japanese commentary and it does add to the magic of it, but um, watched it with the English commentary. And their sort of contextualizing aside, I think if you simply watch the match, a lot of that story would come through as well, that it's essentially... On the one side, a battle of uh, for relevancy f- on the part of Tanahashi, uh, and on the other side, I guess, for lack of a better term, a sort of... I mean, he's already a proven commodity at this point, so not in that sense, but a proven ground for Ibushi as to this being his time. Uh, and the first thing that struck me, Sam, uh, was how fitting it was as a result that uh, there was a lot of, of action orientated around the legs particularly with Ibushi I noted uh, and my, the impression I got maybe you could confirm this is that one of Tan- Tanahashi had, he, they, they made a big deal out of his doing the dragon leg screw and, and the clover leaf is this was this a relatively recent thing for him or is that one of his finishes or trademarks no they're, they're both signature moves of both his signature um, moves. Okay, he, well, he regularly pulls out uh I believe Kota Ibushi has just, I mean, be granted because of his style, um, his, his, um, his knees are not amazing, but neither are Tanahashi's for that Quite. point. In fact, they're very much worse. Uh, well, and, and one of the big stories of this, <laughs> actually, this G1 that's most recently gone by in 2019 was uh, Kota Ibushi's ankle. <laughs> well, one of the reasons I bring it up is it just felt like a very apt way to tell the story because you're essentially telling a story about two men who are wanting to, uh, you know, it's like a, it's like a game of King of the Hill in a sense. You're, you're wanting mm. to capture the territory and keep it. Uh, and a lot of the tone of it was defiant on both sides uh, and is exactly the kind of story. I, I, I don't want to obsess over WWE on the show because we're not here to talk about WWE, but I do think that it's worth noting that the parallel here in 2018 particularly is you look at the kind of story that they tell in, in this match as regards to a veteran presence having to prove that he can still go and a, and a young upstart looking to, to you know, I, 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 I hate myself for using this phrase, but to quote unquote grab the brass ring, um, to coin the cliche. Uh, and it's so much more effective to the point where Tanahashi winning, uh, and this may be as a result of me having distance from the, from the match itself, but uh, from the promotion itself, but Tanahashi was, winning doesn't feel like a step backwards. It didn't feel regressive. It felt emotionally true to the story they told, especially towards the beginning of sort of the late stages of the match when Ibushi kind of embraced his worst self, shall we say. Yeah, the the matches in I don't know, for me when I when I saw this, this was the first match that I'd ever seen sort of in time of Tanahashi I guess that really emotionally resonated with me. 
Um, and particularly you saying defiance, I think is is a perfect a perfect way to sum up Tanahashi's performance here. It's almost like particularly there's there's one moment that just I love so much. It's one of my favorite moments in all of professional wrestling. And every time I see it, it gets goosebumps when um, Ibushi is, is starting to take over and is starting to lay some very heavy, um, some very heavy hands onto Tanahashi with his palm strikes and backs Tanahashi into the corner and even down onto his haunches. So he's in, he's sort of down and in the corner and you can almost see the moment where Tanahashi you know if it was a movie you'd get a montage of or an anime you'd get a montage of you know all these past things flashing before Tanahashi's eyes before he just rages out of the corner and wills his way across the ring uh, in front of in front of Kota Ibushi you know backing Kota Ibushi down while Kota Ibushi is the one that's laying on strikes and he's and, and Tanahashi is just relentlessly coming forward and kind of almost going like, no, I will not die. I'm, I'm not going to go quietly. I'm just going to keep raging against, you know, raging against the dying light almost. And, and that moment is so incredibly defiant of time of his injuries of his opponent, who's getting the better of him of the critics who say that, you know, maybe things have started to pass Tanahashi by maybe, you know, this new generation of Okada, Ibushi, Omega, Naito, maybe they've passed Tanahashi by and he's saying, no, I am still the eternal ace here. I am I am still more as relevant as I have ever been and just as much of a, of a force of nature as I have ever been. Which is a story that wouldn't work if Tanahashi had been a divisive ace, for lack of a better term. You think about, again, I'm not going to keep going back to WWE, but one last point on this front. You think about them trying to tell this story with, say, John Cena a few years ago, and it wouldn't have been halfway... In fact, they they probably did try to tell it a number of times, uh, and wouldn't have been halfway as effective because of the of the the nature of his run on the top, which I think is a testament to... The reason I bring this up is because I think it's a prevalent point, because in this match you have an example of the cumulative benefits of being a company that isn't belligerent in the way that it engages with its with its fan base, you know, isn't going to stick. I mean, I don't know enough about New Japan to comment historically, <laughs> um, and maybe that's that's a, that's a, a, a not necessarily accurate phrase. But the the point that I'm trying to make is you can't arrive at a story like this if Tanahashi isn't a beloved performer and isn't a beloved guy at the top. And coming from the outside in. That's the way it came off to me. It, it felt like that. I mean, there was a there was a clear audible split in the crowd support several occasions, but it felt very much like people were engaged as much with Tanahashi trying to keep his ground as Ibushi trying to gain it. I had a an English lit, literature teacher who, uh, in school who once said something to me that always stuck with me, and he I can't remember exactly how he phrased it now, but it basically amounted to saying that. Um, the next generation is always, and I remember he used the term biting at the ankles of the current one sooner than the current one wants. Um, and he, <laughs> and he, and he said to us that this happens, it'll happen to you. And it's happened with, you know, the year above you, it'll happen with the year after you. It's always stuck with me. And it's very much a, a, a case. I think this match of what happens when the current generation bites back. And that moment that you, that you mentioned where Tanahashi comes fighting at, because that's obviously, uh, sort of, um, led into by a moment in which Ibushi does the exact thing to 
Tanahashi sort of almost rises from the dead on his spot in the ring uh, and beats Tanahashi down into the corner. Uh, and so, and the story that they tell just in those few moments with their body language alone demonstrates how, uh, you know, even though in ring styles when it comes to professional wrestling can vary wildly, often the language is universal because if you know how to tell the story well, uh, you wouldn't even need a commentary track to tell it. Yeah, and you can see, I mean, in that moment when Tanahashi is backing Ibushi down, all those doubts that that Ibushi had about himself in 2015 when he stood, when he, you know, he had the the world in front of him ready to grab and he had the brass ring his hand around it and he chose not to grasp it all those doubts start to come flooding back and you can see that in his body language and he he works his way back into the match from there but they i i don't know for me that was the big turning point in the match where i was like tanahashi's going to win this tanahashi is there's no way that abushi can match the will of tanahashi right now uh and even even with his immense talent, his reverence for Tanahashi as well, uh, he can't overcome that mental obstacle in his mind at the moment, given the point, given sort of the zone that Tanahashi had entered in his career. And and following on from that, I feel like the, the ending um, when Tanahashi goes up for the high fly flow and Kota Ibushi, and it's it's filmed amazingly, is, is standing there sort of, leaning to one side, teetering, isn't even able to put his hands up to defend himself. All he can do is stand and watch as his God ascends and takes him down uh, and is helpless in that moment. Uh, and I feel like that's a, I don't know, that's a great ending for the, the story that they're showing in that moment when Tanahashi rages back across the ring. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the actual um, content of the match. Because I, uh, as someone who doesn't consume a lot of uh, Japanese strong style wrestling, doesn't consume a lot of New Japan pro wrestling, uh, one of the reasons for that is because I find it relentlessly intense. And I'm not sure I'd be able to... I've sat and watched entire Wrestle Kingdoms before. Um, but but I, I often find it uh, a bit much of a muchness. But it's interesting because when I watched... This match, and you know, you you have common Japanese wrestling. It seems to me, as someone who comes from a, a distance, seems to have as many common tropes as you know WWE's or American popular wrestling uh, had before Japanese strong style started to have such a heavy influence on what we see in the states as well. Uh, and you know, things like the one that always stands out to me is when you get these protracted exchanges of forearm. Uh, smashes, which is heavily featured in the middle of of this match. Which would drive me to saying something along the line. You get the false finish, which I've seen a lot, you know, off the back of finishes, though uh, less of it than I was expecting that I've seen in other examples of, of Japanese uh, wrestling matches. It may be because, as someone who only dips in and out of it infrequently, I tend to only end up watching the, you know, the major sort of main event showdowns and the the really kind of you know popular or vaunted matches, uh, and so I'm only ever engaging in it at one level but it did strike me sometimes as as those cliches you know typically coming out in the middle of this which uh, i wasn't necessarily the most fond of uh, similarly the the commentary track particularly from the english commentators all got a little bit hysterical and and over the top in a different way to what we see from from wwe but uh, is there any 
anything about it that that because uh, I know that you told me before the show that this was your you know this was I think your favorite match of of that year um but do any of these criticisms ring true for you as someone who exposes himself a lot more to it or is it just because I've only seen one sphere of of this style yeah, look, there's definitely tropes for New Japan as much as there is uh, WWE or, you know, I guess like in, for lack of a better term, we'll call it American indie wrestling. Uh, you know, even even British wrestling has its own tropes, that that sort of weird headstand thing that they do in the in the grappling exchange at the start. I feel like I see that every time Jack Gallagher's busted something <laughs> out or when Will Ospreay wants to show that he can catch wrestle, he, you know, does that move. <laughs> the... Uh, I would say the I'll break that down into two points. The false finish uh, is not because I think it is a fact that you're watching the bigger you're watching the biggest matches. Uh, most of the time, the finishes, the actual finishing move is very protected, but they definitely have very protracted, very long ending sequences normally. But it's a lot of counters around the the finishing moves. So when they do pop out of the finishing moves, it's it it does feel like a big deal because most of the time they're very well protected by all these counters, where you know each wrestler is absolutely desperate to avoid the the finishing move of the other the other wrestler. Uh, the the forearm smashes is is definitely a thing. There's a there's a big there's a big emphasis in Japanese wrestling on fighting spirit uh, is probably the best way to describe it. Uh, the um, there's a there's a Japanese term that escapes me for it, which is you know sounds very it sounds you know very evocative, but <laughs> fighting spirit where and essentially that's what those forearm those forearm jewels are I guess are to to break down is who's going to relent first in the, in the face of this onslaught. And it's like you slap, I slap, you slap, I slap. Who's going to be the first one to break down. Uh, And it's definitely, I remember the first time I, there's actually, there's an interesting recording of um, myself after the first wrestle kingdom I'd ever watched. I went live with the implications and there was a Minoru Suzuki and Hiroki Goto match. And they are two very, very big component, very big proponents of strong style, which incorporates that, I guess that that aesthetic. Those two people going together, you know, toe to toe in the ring, and and forearm smashing each other in the face. And I really disliked it, uh, and I, I came out saying that like this was just not for me. Uh, that that thing, but. Uh, the more you watch, I guess, and, and under- that was me coming in without any understanding of what it's about. The more you watch and understand the more it, I guess you get used to it. You maybe, maybe you could say you get desensitized to it a little bit. Uh, but you know, now I, you know, I really enjoy both of those wrestlers and the aesthetic and, and character they bring to it. Uh, so yeah, I, mean, I, I totally, the, I totally the... sympathize with where you're coming from though. Um, the first, definitely the first few times I watched it and watched new Japan, I didn't have a lot of time for, for those sorts of exchanges. Well, I mean, on the note of, of uh, the the finish kicker, I should say this is an instance of I thought it worked tremendously effectively uh, and and very very well. And there were notes of Warrior versus Savage at Mania Seven with the three high fly flows uh, at the end as well, which I you know as a WWE guy really uh, could could sort of get into and, and appreciate. Uh, and 
the uh, I loved the there was some there was a little bit of symmetry in there where uh, they uh, they sort of both ended up getting a near count out at one point um, though tellingly Tanahashi didn't drag Ibushi back in but Ibushi did drag Tanahashi back in that brings me to the final thing that I wanted to raise about the match uh, before we sign off here which is that there's one of the things that I write about in my book, 101 WWE Matches to See Before You Die, available to buy on Amazon, is uh, the ridiculous notion, I believe, that heels can't wrestle heels. And this idea that we should, that somehow baby faces and heels are still a thing in this day and age when they're clearly not. There's no real clear cut baby face or heel in this match from when I approached it from a traditional sports entertainment point of view. And what was so wonderful was that, and, and I, saw, I can't remember what the match was that I saw, it was a new gen match that I saw this in recently, I can't remember what it was now, but essentially both of them play both of those roles. And it's it's dependent on your perspective. You could easily see Tanahashi's performance as either wily and savvy or desperate. Uh, or you could see Ibushi's performance as... Uh, as hungry, or you could see it as needlessly brutal, and that was that was one of the really wonderful takeaways from me was was to see, you know, uh, perspective wrestling, for lack of a different uh, phrase, lack of a better phrase, you know, wrestling that you, from an emotional standpoint you approach depending on which character you sympathise with the most, and there are reasons to sympathise with both of them, and there are reasons to not sympathise with both of them and that kind of morally complex storytelling is something I would love to see a lot more in professional wrestling today. Yeah, and I think, honestly, I think that's one of the reasons that New Japan has resonated so heavily with me, and I've this year I've be- almost become pretty much a, a new Japan is the the product that I watch the most frequently uh, is because their treatment of characters is so three dimensional and so fleshed out. Uh, you know, in this match, both of these characters are very beloved, and at the end, you've got people weeping because they're so happy that Tanahashi won, and people weeping because they're so sad that Kota Ibushi lost uh, in the in the crowd. And I'm not just making that up. There's there's shots of people like scores of people crying at the end of this match because of how how emotional it was uh and part of it is because these these characters are so fleshed out you're right Kota Ibushi has a streak in him he has a mean streak he has a a streak that is very brutal and Tanahashi has a has a streak part of him doesn't want to let go uh and that was a big part of his he had a big rival with Kota with uh Okada, which is almost defined, probably if, if you had to pick a rivalry that defined the decade for New Japan, it would be that. Or even his rivalry with Kenny Omega that this leads to. There is a, a part of him that that doesn't want to leave the spotlight, which, you know, that's not necessarily a positive thing. That that that, that sort of narcissism is is almost a little bit ugly, but he's still beloved. Um, in spite of it. And then there's other characters. They actually have I, um, a, a night of recording last night. They actually had two, 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 mat, two guys from the same heel faction uh, going against each other, but two very different types of heels. Uh, and, and you're, you're dead right. When you've got flash, when you've got one dimensional characters, I think I, I would, I, I can understand why people say, oh, you you can't get on board with heel versus heel. But when you've got well-fleshed-out characters with different motivations and different ways of going about things uh, and different perspectives and different traits, 
it, it can be very compelling. Um, and, and this is a match of character versus character. Uh, it's, you know, they're two beloved characters. Absolutely. But you're right. There's, there's, you know, both of them go to different parts of their personality that could be considered, you know, not so heroic or, or slightly ugly. Um, but both also have big parts of their, their personality that, uh, incredibly heroic and incredibly endearing, um, which is why the crowd love them so much. And then you put all of that on a, a high st- on a backdrop of very tangible high stakes. Yep. Uh, with uh, with with real repercussions, uh, and what you get is magic. I did very much enjoy the match. Uh, I was a bit trepidatious approaching it, uh, especially <laughs> the uh, the current mood I'm in with with wrestling, which is sort of at a point where it's kind of like. Any wrestling is is it makes me feel like I've gorged on something unpalatable, but it was something that I really enjoyed. Very emotionally palpable, even for someone who came at it, you know, completely cold. You'd given me a little bit of context on on Twitter, um, but you know, like I say, despite that, uh, certainly I would say that I. It, it evoked a stronger emotional reaction from me than, than any of sort of AEW stuff that I've seen so far, which isn't a knock on them, but more designed to uh, be a testament to the quality of the match that you picked. Uh, very glad that you picked it. And, of course, it's the first New Japan Pro Wrestling match, so I hope the first of many to come over the next year, um, that uh, we'll cover here on SEID. Uh, <laughs> picked a hell of a one to... <laughs> to to start that trend though I don't know how you find one after that that's going to be as good but I guess that's going to be uh, for the future to hold Sam thank you for joining me thank you for battling no problem. through your uh... that's alright hopefully uh, hopefully you're just Hiroshi Tanahashi you've just been slapped down by <laughs> in, by poor wrestling you're just in the corner and you're about to rage out of all of that plan <laughs> and rage back across the ring just swatting swatting aside these this inferior products these inferior products fueled by amazing amazing matches like this one yeah this was this was my match of the year for 2018 if you haven't seen it yet um Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kota Ibushi the final the G1 final uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling has a has a streaming service you can sign up for for 999 yen which works out to be about the same thing as what a what the U, the WWE network costs and there's a lot of amazing matches. Yeah, hopefully we can come back and talk about another one. I don't know how I'm going to find another one that's quite as emotionally resonant as this one because I did pick this one because I think it 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 is a very emotional story and it is it's unashamedly like set up like that and it fits the performance art. I think it fits the performance art view quite well. Very well, in fact. But thank you for having me. My my pleasure. <laughs> If you've enjoyed the show, folks, don't worry because Sam is going to be with me again next week. Uh, next week, I already mentioned it towards the beginning of the show, another one of Sam's picks. And arguably the first opportunity here on year two of SEID for us to reappraise a heavily maligned match. Depends on what we find. Uh, it's The Undertaker versus Roman Reigns in the closing match of WrestleMania 33, which is going to be a very interesting discussion. So look forward to that next week. Sam, thanks once more. Thank you, Plan. It's been my pleasure. In the meantime, guys, if you want to get in contact with me, you can do so via any of the usual means at LOP Plan on Twitter. Look up Samuel Plan on Facebook. Email me at samuel.plan101 at gmail.com. You can drop me a comment on any of my posts on lordsofpain.net, be it a podcast or a column. You can find me at Spreaker, or, of course, you can head over to LOP Forums, sign up, 
get yourself involved in our community and you could drop me a message on there as well. Also, be sure to hit up my friend Sir Sam. I forgot to get his Twitter handle before he left, but he's relatively easy to find. He's pretty prolific on Twitter as well, so you can find him and hit him up on social media too. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope you will join us next week. I look forward to talking to Sam again. And in the meantime, stay safe, have a good week and have a good one.